Good morning and once again, welcome to our next study. As we went over the first angel's message, the second angel's message, today we're going to continue and uh, talk about the third angel's message. And for the opening verse, I would like to share with you Matthew 24, verse 14. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. And uh, this message, it is important for the time we're living in because it does bring to the reality the facts and uh, the events that are happening in our days. And uh, as we continue, we'll find Revelation 1.1, and this reads the following. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. The way God wants us to understand the prophecy is that Jesus is going to be revealed in the middle of these prophecies. Because the whole book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, when we go to Revelation 14, and we're going to read those Bible verses in just a moment, we have messages that are sent from above, represented by the three angels. The whole movement, actually, of Seventh-day Adventist Church, historically, was raised up to communicate the three angels' message to the world. These messages are found in Revelation 14, and it starts in verse 6 through 12. And I believe that this message represents God's last call to human family. Now, if we go back in the Bible history, in the days of Noah, God raised him up and gave him a message. And uh, this message was the last call to the world before the flood came. Whenever God intends to do something big, he sends a message. And uh, the three angels' message are as big as it can get. And when these messages are over, as we're going to read in verses 14 through 16, we have a picture of the return of Jesus Christ in a white cloud. Now, this tells us that these messages are the last messages of God to the world. And after that, there is no other message. And we expect Jesus to come back. Now, I heard a story once. Um, and this is going back into the early movement of the Adventist uh, church. And uh, a man was walking down the dusty road. And uh, he came across somebody else. And that person said, hey, you Adventist, you are just little people. And that man, the Adventist man, actually, you know, he kind of held his peace. God gave him power to keep his temper. And he said um, when he was passing by, yes, you are right. We are but little people, but we have a great message. And uh, this is the message, and this is the truth that we believe. It's not a boastful statement, but if we look around the world, there is just one movement that is proclaiming this message. 
So that's why um, today's um, topic, it is about the third angel message. And may God help us as we go through the study, we will understand the importance of this message being the last message given to the world and also the time we are living in. And for that reason, let's read Revelation 14 and we're gonna start with verse nine and we're gonna read until verse 12. And uh, the third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And let's just pause here for a moment. People have heard of the wrath of God and they ask, what kind of a God is he? Now, as we read and study God's character, we can conclude that it is a blend. Um, there is a verse in uh, Exodus 34 and there are two verses there when um, Moses went to the mountain, Mount Sinai, and God met him and proclaimed himself a God of mercy and gracious and long-suffering and abundant in goodness, in truth. But when you keep reading in this uh, book of Exodus, it also says, yet he will not clear the guilty. Now, those who do not turn away from the sin, eventually they will call upon themselves the justice of God. And uh, God's character, we can say it's a blend of mercy, but also a blend of justice in the same time. And they're all rooted in love. Now, we know that the time is coming at the end of the world after thousands of years of mercy, of grace and forgiveness, when finally the mark of the beast will be imposed and those that choose the mark of the beast instead of choosing uh, Jesus and uh, Jesus represented by the lamp and uh, keeping the God's commandments, they, the mercy of God will eventually run out and just his justice will be poured. The wrath of God that we just read here in verse 10 is the final indication of the pure, righteous, holy, and uh, just manifestation of his justice against evil. It is not the devil that uh, it's good, it is God. But it's not God that is doing all this because it's his nature. It's just because people, they uh, push and they prolong and uh, they push again to the limit the justice and mercy of God. Now, the Bible verse also says that the wrath of God is poured out without mixture. And uh, what do you think that means? Without mixture of what? Mercy. Of mercy. God has shown mercy for a long time to us. And one of these days, justice will come without mercy, which is a very, very serious thought. 
Now let's continue uh, verse 11 and 12. And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever. And they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image. And whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they, they keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And as we read these words, they are very solemn. They are life or death words. And in fact, if you look into the Bible history from Genesis to Revelation, a series of scriptures that are more solemn than this you can find in the what we just read. There is no more serious words than in what we just read. At its core, actually, the third angel's message is a warning about worshiping the beast and the image and getting the mark. And the mark of the beast goes in two places. It goes into the forehead and into the hand and into the right hand. In the Bible, the forehead and the hand are used several times, actually. And uh, they do represent something. What do you think the forehead represents? Knowledge. It represents thoughts, uh, judgment, decisions we are making every day. And uh, these are actions that uh, you know, we all take. So now the hand represents, as I just mentioned, the actions. Uh, God is concerned of what is going on inside people's thoughts and uh, their hearts and their minds. And the sad part is that majority of the people actually will receive the mark of the beast instead of receiving Christ and worshiping the Creator. I would like to share a paragraph which is found in Christian Education, uh, page 45, and it says, The third angel message is represented as flying in the mists of the heavens, showing that the message is to go forth throughout the length and breadth of the earth. Let's pay attention. It is the most solemn message ever given to mortals. And I'd like to blend this paragraph with Hebrews chapter 10, verse 28. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. It does come a time when justice come without mercy. And that's the word I highlighted. And it's uh, what Revelation 14 is warning the world about this. I heard a story once of a university professor who had a class and um, he was an atheist, but one day, he told his class, I do not believe in God and I'm going to prove to you today that there is no God. And he said, this is how I'm gonna do it. I'm going to have a stopwatch in my hand and I'm going to push the button and I'm going to count here and during those 60 seconds, I'm going to curse, I'm going to swear, I'm going to mock God, I'm going to really challenge him that if he really exists, to strike me dead. He said, you just watch that when the 60 seconds will be up, 
there will be nothing that will happen to me because there is no God in the skies. He is just in people's imaginations. The students in his class were just holding their breath. He pushed the button, the seconds started ticking, and he swore and he cursed and he yelled and mocked God and challenged him, saying that if you really exist, you should strike me dead right now. And after 60 seconds, what do you think happened? Nothing, not even a single word from the skies, nothing. It was complete silence. Then he said, you see, there is no God. God does not exist. Now, in the back of his classroom, he had some uh, Christian students and uh, they started whispering and they said, look at this fool. He thinks he can wear off the patience of God in just 60 seconds. These Christians, they had it straight because you cannot wear out the patience of God in 60 seconds. You cannot wear the patience of God in a month, in a year, and sometimes we go a lifetime without wearing off the mercy of God. And somebody once said that we often complain we do not always get what we want, but we should always be thankful that we are not receiving what we deserve. And uh, I want to continue with a paragraph from the book Christian Experience and Teaching, page 87. I was shown that the third angel proclaiming the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus represents the people who receive this message and, uh, and raise the voice of warning to the world to keep the commandments of God and his law as the apple of the eye. And that in response to this warning, many would embrace the Sabbath of the Lord. So this message is special for our days because it has a special message. And uh, it's a voice of warning to the world to keep the commandments of God. And uh, when we look at the three angels' message, a message that our beliefs it's founded on, we realize the message of warning, of mercy, but very straightforward, it says that if the people make wrong decisions at the very end of time, if their minds are settled on uh, going with the beast and getting their mark and uh, finally we'll see there is nothing left but the wrath of God, and which is poured out, we said, without mixture into the cup of his indignation. Now, uh, what is the cup? There is a question. If you look in the Bible history, there are many references about uh, a cup. We have a reference, the cup of the wine of Babylon, that the harlots hold in Revelation 17. There is the cup that also Jesus offered to his disciple the night when he was sold. But there is another cup that was highlighted in the garden called Gethsemane. And uh, as you go from the cup of Revelation 14, 
to the cup mentioned in the Garden of Gethsemane, you can realize that all throughout history, God's justice has always been tempered with mercy, except for one time. And that one time, the cup trembled in the hand of our Savior when he entered into the Garden of Gethsemane. Let's read together Revelation 14 and uh, especially verse 10. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Now, in the midst of this uh, fiery language, right in the heart of the third angel's message, the word lamp surfaces, and lamp represents Jesus. But now, when we look in the Bible verses, we see God speaking so strongly in the third angel's message. It is not because, you know, God in his nature is mean or bad or losing control. It's just because he knows what is coming. And most people in this world have no idea what is coming. If you look out there, people, majority, they're looking to get back to some normal, to carry on with their life, not realizing that all these events are indicating for something greater. And uh, many of the people do not realize that one of these days, God's offer of mercy is going to come to an end. And uh, God's justice will follow, not mingle with his mercy. Now, Christ himself came down to live and humble himself. And while he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he wrestled with whether he was going to drink from the cup for us or not. And uh, as we share from this experience, I would like for us to read Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 42. Luke 22, 39 through 42. And he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, by thine be done. And I asked earlier, what is the cup? And now another question surfaces, what was in the cup? And as we read, the wine of the wrath of the justice of God against sin was in that cup. That was found in Revelation 14, verse 10. Inside that cup was the sin of the entire world. I just cannot even imagine. It wasn't just my sins. It wasn't just the sins of us present here or watching there were generations of sins all the way back to Adam and Eve gathered in that cup. 
And Jesus was actually struggling with the sins of the whole world that somehow they were inside there in the cup. And not just that, but uh, also the justice of God against those sins were also in that cup. And we know that this plan was designed long ago before the fall of human um, race. And it was designed by the Father and by the Son. But now it was the Son faced with this cup. And uh, he was faced to whether to drink from the cup or to pass it. And uh, his mind was thinking also that by drinking from this cup, he could be eternally separated from the Father, and he would experience the justice of God without mercy. Let's read Hebrews chapter 1, verse 9. There are just few words in there. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Now, we know that God, he dislikes sin. He hates sin. Uh, because sin changed the design of this world, of the universe. And um, all that we see around, disasters, fires, pandemics, even this COVID virus, they are all happening because of sin. The reason why he hates sin is because he loves us. And he loves his creation, and he wants to get rid of sin. And uh, for that reason, Desire of Ages emphasizes this very thought of what God hates. Page 88 on Desire of Ages says, He hated but one thing in the world, and that was sin. He could not witness a wrong act without pain, which it was impossible to disguise. Now, Matthew 26, verse 39, goes forward and uh, continues on describing this journey that Christ had to take. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Now, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Jesus, it is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in this Garden of Gethsemane, he struggled. Was it possible for the Father to take this cup away from him? I think it was possible. But for us to be saved, it was not possible. There was no way for me and for each one present here to be saved if Jesus did not drink from this cup. And for that reason, he needed some help. And uh, we read in Luke 22, verse 43, And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. An holy angel was sent to Jesus. Gabriel was sent to help. Jesus in the darkest hour of the human race. Because uh, the sins of the universe, of the people, they were so heavy. And uh, Jesus felt that he was forsaken by the Father. The pressure of those sins, they were so great that Jesus needed reassurance from the Father that his sacrifice will suffice. 
and uh, restore the bridge that was broken between humans and God. And in better words, it is described in this book, God's Amazing Grace, page 168. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Christ suffered in man's stead, and the human nature of the Son of God staggered under the terrible horror of the guilt of sin, until from his pale and quivering lips was forced the agonizing cry, O oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Human nature would then and there have died under the horror of the sense of sin, had not an angel from heaven strengthened him to bear the agony. Christ was suffering the death that was pronounced upon the transgressors of God's law. Once again, it emphasizes the intense moments that Christ was going through. And once again, it shows that through his merits, we have pardon with God. And going back to Luke chapter 22, verse 44, we read, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus himself, our creator, he was in agony and he prayed more earnestly in those moments. Where was the struggle? Where were the drops of blood coming down from? It is in the forehead and it is right in the forehead where those drops were coming down. And let's remember, it is in the forehead where the people receive the mark of the beast that is mentioned in Revelation 14. And Jesus was struggling in his mind with the darkness, darkness of the sin, with the pride and the evil of sin. Now the question was, would he drink the cup of justice without a drop of mercy? Would he drink this cup for me and for you? It was the question at that moment. And Matthew 26, verse 42, continues to describe the agony that was happening. Matthew 26, verse 42, he went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, Thy will be done. Jesus prayed three times, and he said at the end, Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And let's just remember that uh, this was a strong union between Christ the Son and God the Father. And I'd like to share something with you that takes me back a few years ago when uh, my first son was born. And uh, I can only relate to the union between God the Father and Christ the Son as I can relate to the union between me and my sons. And uh, when my first son was born, that's what made me realize how strong that union between God and Christ 
was because I could relate to myself as a father and my son, the newborn. I just cannot even imagine what will be, you know, to say the same thing that the father had to do or to go through the same motion. What about if uh, my son will say, Dad, if I drink this cup, we will be separated? Will you take this cup away from me, Dad? Now, I don't know what I would say, because those are very emotional moments. Um, and probably I'm not ready to give up my son. I would die for my son, but um, to give him up, that I don't know. And um, that just makes us realize how strong this connection was in between God and the Son, and how deep were these words when Christ was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. God, if I drink this cup, would I be separated from you? That where the universe would be eternally lost if that cup was not drank. And by sharing this personal story, it just makes it more deep and makes me realize how strong this union was in between the Son and the Father. There is a short paragraph in God's Amazing Grace, page 168. No sorrow can bear any comparison with the sorrow of him upon whom the wrath of God fell with overwhelming force. Now, have you ever suffered in your life? It's just a general question. Have you suffered in your life? Have you had sorrows in your life? Because this statement says that there is no sorrow that you will ever know in all your years of suffering that bears any comparison with the sorrow of him who in the Garden of Gethsemane and on the cross experienced just the wrath of God that fell upon him with overwhelming force, without a drop of mercy. And to put this in other words, the bottom line is that Jesus Christ chose to take your justice the justice that we are supposed to suffer, so he can give us his mercy. Once again, Jesus Christ took the justice that I was supposed to suffer, so he can give me, he can give us his mercy. Now, he chose to be separated from his father, so he can be united with you and me. And uh, to me, there is no love like this one. There is no other religion on planet Earth, except the religion of the Bible that shows the love of the Father being willing to give his son up for me and for you. Now, if I look back, I only know my two sons for, let's say, seven years and four years for the youngest one. Now, Jesus and the Father, they knew each other from eternity. It was an everlasting father that we are talking about and an everlasting son that we are referring to that were willing to be separated from each other
to bear the horror of sin that we will never know. And we will be meditating and contemplating an eternity upon this topic. Because we're always going to see the marks of the nails in Christ's palms. And this will always remind us about the sacrifice that the Father and the Son had to do for our salvation. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed a prayer, and he prayed, O oh my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And that is the model prayer. We will never suffer, actually, what Jesus had to suffer. Because he went through this, so then we don't have to repeat that experience. But we can still pray this prayer. Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And uh, in the book Steps to Christ on page 43, we read, the warfare against self is the greatest battle that was ever fought. The yielding of self, surrendering all to the will of God, requires a struggle. But the soul must submit to God before it can be renewed in holiness. Now, when the crisis hits and um, the people, they'll have to make a choice and they will get the mark of the beast in their foreheads. If they have chosen not to surrender now their lives to God, they will, pray, they will pay the price for that. If they are not willing to do what is right now, they will be lost. And uh, those will be the ones that will get the mark of the beast, that will not go through an experience similar to Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. While we are still alive, and while we still enjoy the mercy of the God blended with his justice, it is the time that we should come to him. There is nothing that can reach the forehead or the hand than the revelation of what Jesus did on Gethsemane and on the cross for you and for me. And in this line, I am personally convinced that the third angel's message and the message found in this, it is all about what we just mentioned, about Christ and his experience on the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, the heart of this message, it's found in that place, on that rock where Jesus kneeled down and prayed. It's found on the cross. It's found in him that paid the price for our salvation. And uh, I found a very nice paragraph. It's found in Christian Experience and Teachings, page 199, that it's helping us realize what are we supposed to do today? And the question is, what are you doing, brethren, in the great work of preparation? Those who are uniting with the world are receiving the worldly mold and preparing for the mark of the beast. Now, the mark of the beast, we know it is the enforcement of violating God's law, and the people that go along with uh, this have already settled into being 
commandment breakers. The only way God can turn our minds from getting the mark of the beast is by reaching deep into our minds, into our souls, into our hearts, and uh, showing how much he loves us and how much he died for us. And we go back, Gethsemane and the cross will help us choose by his grace. Uh, through his forgiveness and his power, that when the final crisis hits, we will not going to put the mark of the beast on our foreheads, on our, our hand. Even if I cannot buy or sell, even if I cannot support my family, even if I have to suffer hunger and thirst, I am not willing to sacrifice my connection with God for a temporal benefit. And... Uh, it's a decision that we all have to make. It is something that Christ is giving us a choice to make today. And uh, as we continue reading the same book, it says that those who are distressful of self, who are humbling themselves before God and purifying their souls by obeying the truth, these are receiving the heavenly mold and preparing for the seal of God in their foreheads. When the decree goes forth and the stamp is impressed, their character will remain pure and spotless for eternity. As we go back and look, we see that there is a fight going on today. There is a battle that is going on. A battle whether to receive the mark of the beast on our foreheads or to receive the stamp, the seal of God on our foreheads. And... Uh, that is the power of the third angel's message. That is the power that will prepare to stand for the law of God, for the seventh-day Sabbath, uh, for the Jesus Christ when he storms, when the storms breaks. If we are willing to give up the little things today that we think are so important, Jesus has so much more in store for us. And uh, if we are willing to say no to the pleasures of this life, that will qualify us to say yes for the eternal life. And as we're concluding our study, I would like to read Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him, and he with me. As we read about Jesus, as uh, we also read about Gethsemane, the question that arises is, do you hear the voice of God talking to your heart? Do you hear the knock and the door? Because it says, if any man hears my voice and open the door, and what does it mean to open the door? Because there is few steps. You have to hear, you have to open. What does it mean to open the door? It means to open the door of your heart. And uh, how far shall we open the door? When we have a stranger coming and knocking at our door, do you open the door wide? Or you just crack the door and look to see who it is? But once you find out that Jesus knocks at your door, 
Do you open the door just, you know, 50% of the way? Do you open the door 80%? Is that still enough? What about 90%? It's a high number. So not even 99% is not enough. When we hear Christ knocking at our door, at our heart, we should open it 100% wide open. Because Jesus wants to give all to us. And he wants us to give our whole heart to him. And if you do that, you'll never be sorry. Uh, you will discover that giving your heart to God, it is the best choice that you ever made in your life. And uh, the amazing thing actually it is when um, you make the choice, this choice you'll find happiness, you'll find peace. It is the joy, the happiness that nobody else can offer but Christ. And um, this is what is all about. This is what it is in the heart of the third angel's message. Uh, the third angel warns against the justice upon those that get the mark. That they will drink the cup. But the good news is that Jesus already drank the cup for us. He drank it for you and for me, so then we don't have to go to the same experience. And now, if we surrender our hearts, if we bring to him our struggles, then uh, when the final crisis hits, we'll be in a good position. And uh, when should we get ready for this final crisis? Today, when the storm hits, is that when you should find shelter? Or when you see the clouds, the dark clouds gathering, it's the better time to find shelter. So uh, we got to get ready now, today, it's the time. So when the crisis hits, we'll be on the side of Jesus. And uh, may God help us as uh, we get ready for those times that we remember his experience in Gethsemane. It is the experience that we all have to have in order to be qualified to be sheltered by him. And this is my wish and prayer for all of you. Amen.